Hello and welcome to episode 140 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode are two members of the absolutely awesome band Red Fang. Today I'm joined by Brian Giles and Aaron Beam. They're both absolutely legends. I absolutely adore this band. I've been wanting to get them on the podcast for some time and they're here to talk about their brand new album. So right now, as we're listening to this, Arrows has just come out. It came out a couple of days ago and it's phenomenal. But I urge you all to go and listen to all their albums. And if Red Fang are new to you because of this podcast, go back and listen to the self-titled album, Only Ghosts, Moving the Mountains and pretty much everything they've done. They're phenomenal. I've seen this band many times play. At Download Festival about four or five years ago, they were easily the performance of the whole weekend. They're phenomenal. They supported the likes of Mastodon in the UK and blown them off stage. They are the real deal, so please go and check them out. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, before we get to the interview with Red Fang today, I like to touch base and talk about the last episode. On episode 139, we had the next guest of the Voice Behind the Art specials, and I was joined by Flory. This was easily one of my most downloaded episodes I've ever done, one of the most popular artists I've had on. The chemistry was there from the moment we spoke and the feedback has been phenomenal. So thanks for everyone who's taken the time and listened to that episode. But honestly, today is a huge honour. I'm joined by one of my favourite bands and I can't wait to get to it. So I think the best thing to do is literally do that right now. So here it is. Here's me, Brian and Aaron talking all things Red Fang. So Aaron and Brian from the absolutely awesome Red Fang, thank you for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you for, for having us. Having us. There we go. Already a clash and a talk over. I love it. What I want to do is for the listeners out there today that might be tuning in and then discovering Red Fang for the very first time, where the fuck have you guys been? But let's take it right back to the very early days. And Brian, tell me about those first albums that you discovered as a kid that made you fall in love with the music that you listen to today or have shaped the kind of music taste that you've now got. I guess I started liking uh you know rock music when i was uh, 10 or 11 years old i guess my brother a couple years older than me and he introduced me to zz top what was the album in any case uh it was, a, it was sort of an 80 zz top album and uh van halen fair warning anyway i got real excited about that and i sort of um started following you know, darker, heavier things. I was just on a quest to find the, the nastiest version of that kind of thing. And, and so I went down heavy metal for a long time. And then that turned into a lot of ballads, a lot of the bands that I really uh, looked up to and enjoyed. Uh, Molly Crew, things like that. They all just started doing ballads. And I was like, well, this is awful. This is more about the haircut than it's <laughs> music. So... So I kind of turned to punk rock for a while. And then I just was like, I, I don't care what it is as, as long as, you know, it has a, a, that emotional impact, that really, you know, big, epic uh, impact. And it doesn't really um, matter what genre it is. But yeah, as a kid, I was like, oh, this is who I am. I'm a solo and cool guy or whatever, you know, now I, you know, now I just like music. 
And what about you, Aaron? Is it kind of the same sort of bands, or is it completely different? Uh, the bands that got me to first want to pick up a guitar. Yeah. Um, it was like probably early Metallica, um, but I couldn't play like that. So the thing that really got me inspired to actually try to write my own music was Soundgarden, Mudhoney, and Nirvana. It was grunge, man, because it was like the thing that I liked about Metallica and what James Hetfield was saying is that he was like, I don't even use these, the two, you know, plinky plinky strings. I only really need these four heavy strings on my guitar because just all rhythm. And I was like, that's me. I don't want to know how to play a solo. I hate <laughs> solos. I just, I don't even need those strings on my guitar. And so I was like an anti-solo guy. I remember like seeing um, uh, Nirvana came through with uh, Jesus Lizard and um, Dinosaur Jr. Nice. And now I have an appreciation for Dinosaur Jr. But at the time they were like, oh, that's that band that plays guitar solos. So I left when they're yeah, like, fuck them. Yeah, basically yeah. that. I hated guitar solos. Wow. So, so Kirk, uh, Kirk would be there for Metallica. Like, I don't understand. I can only play a solo. Like <laughs> me and Aaron will never get on because all I do is play solos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now I love guitar solos. But, at the, you know, I was an angry teen. Yeah. So guitar solos were like showing off. So it's like, I'm just going to be down here in the dirty part of the basement, just playing the rhythm guitar. So then when it all changes is obviously, I remember when I first went to one of my first gigs and it was something like corn or something in like a small venue and it blew my mind. It was that whole transformation of buying the CDs every week, saving up my pocket money, falling in love with albums. But then as soon as you go and see it live, it just takes you to another world. Can you guys remember those sort of first gigs you went to when you were like, oh my fucking God, this is what I want to do and I'm never going to get a normal job. I want to be in a band forever. I think the first time I, uh, first time I saw the Melvins, I was, uh, I had I, never heard of them. Just some, uh, the guy who ran the DIY art space in Tucson was like, Have you, are you going to come see the Melvins? I'm like, I don't know what that is. And he said, they do great Black Sabbath covers. I was like, well, I like Black Sabbath, okay. And uh, anyway, seeing them live, I I just thought that the, the their performance it was it was terrifying, and um, it went well. Uh, you know, after listening to the albums subsequently, I mean, it was like, oh, it doesn't touch their live show. You know, they they would do tension and release things that just went on and on, where you were like, come on. But when you know when they brought the hammer down, it was incredible. I was like, that is you know the power that. Um, you can achieve, you know, in a live setting where, you know, the unexpected is there. And I, I saw the cows perform um, in the, in the late or mid, uh, I guess, early nineties. And uh, those guys literally scared me. I, you know, uh, the bass player was swinging his bass at the crowd. I thought someone was going to get hurt for sure. They, they had a truly menacing stage presence. And I was like, wow, that's, uh, you know, these guys are musicians. How scary could they be? But man, were they. And what about you, Aaron? Can you remember those first gigs that you went to where you're like, this is making me want to pick up a guitar. This is making me want to smash stuff up. This is making me want to scream down a microphone. I mean, I had already been playing, you know, perf I've been performing in front of audiences, if you yeah. want to call it that, since I was like eight. When I started, I, I actually asked my parents to sign me up for piano lessons because I heard all my friends complaining about being forced to take piano and was like, ah, oh, that sounds like what I want to do. 
Um, <laughs> and I realized that during this COVID year, it was the first time in 40 years that I, it was the longest I'd gone in 40 years without playing music in front of somebody. So I guess I just like, I was always real shy growing up. And the only way that I ever really felt comfortable to be at all expressive in front of people was on stage. And so the first kind of like rock performance I ever did was playing a few cover songs for like a talent show at my high school when I was, I don't know, 16 or something. Um, we'd already been playing music and it was it was more just like a natural progression from playing in, in school band, playing piano. I was already doing all that stuff and playing in front of people. So it was like, we don't, I don't like jazz. So what I like is guitar rock, man. So my friend Chad bought a guitar and started learning, took lessons. He bought himself a fancier guitar and he just gave me his, or sold me his old guitar. And that's kind of how I started. And then we just, you know, we just like, again, we just loved grunge. So we just wanted to play. We lived in a small town where there was no chance that any of those bands were ever going to come to our town. So we we're like, the only way we're going to ever have grunge happen in this town is for us to do it. So let's just do it. And then obviously you guys formed, it's, I hate when I talk about years, I can't believe it. And you think, fuck, was it that long ago? But it's like 16 years ago was when you guys formed in 2005. It just sounds so long ago. I want to know those times when you first met up and how the band actually formed, because was it a case of that you just gelled straight away or did you kind of have like a band poster audition where there's a drummer needed in the typical fashion? Or was it just a case of you were just mates and all play guitars and drums and it just came about or how did it actually, how did Red Fang become Red Fang? It was uh, sort of halfway between those two things. So um, yeah, we were all friends who all had never played together, all four of us, but, um, Brian and John and David had been playing in a band called party time for a few years. And then Brian moved away and John, David, and I, I think John called up me and David and were like, do you, and just asked if we wanted to start jamming. And we played for a few months and then realized that we just had a bunch of kind of like random assortments of sounds and no real cohesive songs. And I think that it was John's idea. He was like, let's convince Brian to move back up to Portland or something. I guess you were already probably thinking about moving back, right, Bren? No, not as such. It was the riffs. You guys sent me a bunch of uh, the riffs. You, with, you were, the working title was Special Princess. And you sent me a, four or five Special Princess riffs. Of, and I was enthralled. I thought they were, they were metal, you know, and I'd never really played metal so i was like oh yeah i'm gonna do that anyway we didn't end up really chasing as many of those ideas down as i wish we had um i mean they have appeared over the years but uh anyway that you guys tricked me with your riffs <laughs> I moved back. that's hell of a commitment to move back and be like yeah i have all faith in these guys this is a big now change in my life and it's gonna hopefully pay off well yeah i, I you know we had done party time and uh, and i was just not in a really good place uh so i i needed to get out of town and and that was really good for me but um i moved to san diego which i i had lived there previously and it was just impossible to get people to um to play music to play music with me that sort of shared my uh my ethos or whatever so, uh i think the closest i got i was playing with uh with a couple of friends and uh, and the drummer, we we played sort of a you know a punk rock song, you know, uh, sort of a barn burner, and I was like, that is fantastic. He's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to do that all night. 
And I was like, shit. <laughs> well, I do. That's what I want to do all night. That's, he's like, I'll play one fast song, but come on. You know, you're messing up my hair. I mean, that's, that's not really what really. But you know what I mean? It was just, I think, finding, finding people that, um, you know, that shared kind of my background. I think uh, we all have similar, you know, interests, that kind of thing. You know, the, the grunge movement and stuff. Um, so, and I knew that, uh, you know, John and David, you know, we were a good fit. It, it made sense. I mean, I like that. That was a year that I didn't play. You know, I wasn't in a band and I was just so frustrated. So to be able to come up and kind of f- jump into a preformed thing that I was and I, it, it felt very comfortable. And, and it was it's cool. You know, you leave one thing and then uh, and you sort of can take what you what you the good and the bad and sort of apply that to the new thing. And 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 so uh i like to tell people you know when they're when they say oh, our band broke up i'm like man that could be a really good thing because you get stuck in a rut and then um your new project you know you can avoid a lot of the pitfalls you know you're, nice. you're it's not like it's not like you're going back to zero ever you know no. i think we all so anyway i felt like we really um red fangs took some of the ideas that i was really excited about in our in in our previous band it just it was a, a a pretty massive step forward right off the bat. It was like, okay, oh, we don't have to mess around with these, you know, esoteric noodling things that I, you know, my little pet project things. Because as fun as that is, I don't need that. Let's just get let's get straight to the rock, and that's you know that when that's what we did. So to try and sum up, the last fifteen years would take probably about a ten-hour podcast, but. The first time I saw you guys play was in the UK in Nottingham. You were supporting Mastodon. I'm, I don't want to sound like a fanboy and I'm kissing your ass, but you were fucking incredible. And that night we all walked away saying they should have been headlining tonight. You know, you were absolutely unbelievable. But the gig that I always remember of you guys was Download Festival in 2017. So I took all my mates. I was like, come and see Red Fang. They're amazing. And they were like, who's Red Fang? I was like, just trust me on this one. And we went to the smaller stage and you guys came on and absolutely, truly were the best band of the whole weekend. We all agreed. We're like, they were sensational. Now, I don't know if you remember this gig, but about two hours later, you did another set on this really small stage and everyone was wearing red hats in the crowd. It was actually a Firestone Tires, I think. Is there what you was. go. And all, and all the crowd had these like red hats that they're given out and the sun came out and i don't know what it was but i'd just seen you and you were easily the best band and then you did another set and it felt like watching you in a garage it was this really small intimate gig that you had your amps up there there wasn't a massive pa and i think it was flies or flames and you're doing the instrumental bit and honestly the sun came out and there was just this moment where i say that for me was the best performance i've ever seen i turned around and it looked like we were just this exclusive little gig for about a hundred of us with red hats on. Do you remember this show? Because you were fucking unbelievable, truly. And it was so tight. The sound quality, I don't know what it was, was amazing. And it just felt intimate, even though it was an 80,000 people gig. I do remember it. And all I can say is, if only you could see us on a good day, because that was like one of our worst shows in ye- no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm I was going to say, no, fucking was- hell, really? <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> uh, I think if I remember right, that, I think that was, was it the one that 30 Seconds to Mars or whatever they're called, they were headlining that day. And maybe <sighs> Rammstein also played. I, I can't remember who exactly, but I don't you can't think remember because was- we were so good that you can't even remember any of the other bands. Genuinely, I'm not just saying this, you were well, unreal. I- 
it is hard for us sometimes to take those sorts of compliments, but I do truly appreciate that. And uh, I think that that's the year that we played that maybe um, one of the most memorable things to me about that year was apart from the sort of chaos of having to run across the whole festival to play a second gig on the small stage on the side, yeah. which ended up being super fun. And I, I actually loved that kind of thing. And it, it kind of reminded me of some of the early days of like playing at uh, South by Southwest where we'd play like two or three shows in a day and you're huffing equipment through a bunch of people in the middle of the street in a hundred degree weather. And it just feels like chaos, but then that just adds this kind of, frantic um energy that makes the shows just feel so much more um alive or something more electric yeah so uh i do remember that and i remember like ah, do we really want to be doing this firestone tires thing is this just seems kind of cheesy <laughs> and then it was so fun and i think the other thing if it's the one that i'm thinking of was the program had interviews with some of the sort of like rock icons about who are you excited to see at this festival? And I think that was the one that Lemmy had actually called us out by name. And so that was like, I just wow. got this ex extra jolt of like, you know, who are you looking forward to seeing at this thing? And Lemmy was like, I want to see Red Fang. And I was like, oh my God. And so yeah. I think that that, at least I was like extra pumped up for that show because of that. Because I mean, come on. Lemmy knows who we are. Exactly. Oh my God. That's amazing. All you need then is him to come on stage and then be wearing one of your t-shirts. That's the next step. Well, not yeah. now, but yeah. Do you guys rehearse regularly to be that tight? Because it's just flawless. Your performances are tight. There's no, there's no fuck ups. There's no, I don't know. It's just like seasoned pros. You come on stage and you're playing your songs and it's just how you would want it to be. Well, we practice by playing tons and tons and tons of shows. Yeah. That's really that there's no substitute for doing it in the context in which you have to do it that way so you can't in my experience no matter how much you practice in your practice space it doesn't translate to the live experience it's just the fact that we've played i can't remember we totaled it at one point we played over a thousand shows and when you think about like you know that wire record 154 you know why it's called 154 because they had figured out they'd played 154 shows to that point. And that's like a legendary band. Yeah. They'd only played 154 shows. We've played a thousand. And so it turns out that when you do something a thousand times, you get pretty good at it. And you guys obviously are now promoting your brand new album and it came out of nowhere. Like we didn't get any teasers. We didn't get much of a hint. It was just suddenly I went online. It was like Red Fang announced new single, new video, pre-order the album, 900 different types of vinyl. And it's just awesome. It was just out of nowhere. But I didn't realize it had been five years. I mean, I know the pandemic speaks for the last 12 months, but what was the delay? What was the whole... I mean, Brian, it's been a long time, like five years. What was it that caused this delay? Was it that you just wanted to take time out or do justice to the album and give it the kind of length of time it needed? Or what was it? Honestly, uh, it's our weird slow songwriters. Uh, I, I wish I could say, oh, I took up origami and I just didn't have time. <laughs> But uh, no, I think we're just pretty meticulous as far as, I mean, occasionally a song will come together, um, you know, rapidly. Uh, there's a song on the new album that I think from Aaron came up with the 
the baseline and between learning the baseline and recording it, I would say we probably spent three hours on it, but it's kind of one of my more favorite things we've done lately. So um, it's not that we can't just kind of blast out a song, but in general, I, we, we really do care whether something is, you know, a, a, some transitional note is, you know, a flatted fifth or a fifth. I mean, we'll change that like 10 times before we, <laughs> and it's like, to, whether for, for better or worse, that is just kind of who we are. And, um, you know, well, we care, but maybe we should stop caring so much if it takes us five years for an album. Hey, five years for some bands is nothing. Look at Tool. You know, that was a long wait, a fucking long wait. And there's bands like Deftones, like five years is just normal now. Metallica do like eight years. And it just seems fine, but it's just... I don't know, it just seems a very long time. It was nice to be, rem- you know, reminded of like, oh, fuck, Red Fanger back. And you did it in style. The video was, again, amazing. You did the whole sort of jokey thing with the budget and just using a sword to chop stuff up in slow motion. It just looked ace. It just was, that's what I would do if I had 5,000 pounds. I'd just get a sword and a really nice slow motion camera and just chop everything up. But was it as fun as it looked, Aaron? I mean, it's, it just had that whole classic Red Fang stupidness if you take that as a respectful stupidness of course i mean it's yeah it's part of the ongoing saga of these four characters who yes can think of nothing better to do with these ridiculous budgets than blow it on some destruction so yeah i mean it's exactly as fun as it looks i mean that's part of the idea that whitey has is that let's film you guys and your actual reactions to doing this stuff because yeah how could you not be super excited about having the chance to just slice a bunch of shit in half with a sword or, you know, crash through big stacks of milk with a, it's so fun. Of course. It's awesome. We're very lucky to be able to do that stuff and then, you know, share it with people and, and that they can get some of the same uh, joy from it that we do. And also, I guess the other thing to say about the five years is that part of it is, yeah, covid delayed this thing by an entire year so it should have been four years yeah but um you know what's that thing they say about absence makes the heart you know heart grow fonder just i think it's hunger's the best gravy i just like that (laughs) i just like that i just like that phrase i don't know if that's apt you just bring that in whenever you can if you could use any excuse to use that saying you're like bam there it is yeah i mean if you know talking about doing your taxes well hunger's the best gravy And was it amazing to see the response? I mean, every comment on YouTube is just like, welcome back, here they are, this is fucking rocking, and just, you know, selling out the vinyl in seconds of the limited one that I wanted with the green stuff in that looked amazing. And it must be amazing just to see that, I don't know, being on the inside, was it difficult thinking, I hope people still are going to remember us, I hope people are still going to be hungry for us, or do you never worry, do you just kind of know that that listenership and that really strong fan base is always going to be solid i i think that um it, it uh, we're lucky in that we were never really popular uh so um you know not in some kind of like you know smash hit of the summer kind of way you know we've always been a slow burn band uh and i think that the but the fans that have been along with us for the ride aren't looking for the next stairway to heaven they just know we believe in rock and that um, you know we're gonna bring it but um i think that if if we had if we'd written some you know like the sweater song or something then i think it's hard not to be perceived as like falling off or oh remember when they were good um if we were never remembered as being you know super good then we can't go down 
does that make sense it does and i i'm glad that you've not kind of gone down that route and i would be terrified if you kind of did like what the offspring have done i've just heard their new single the other day and uh it's just it's not the same band that was the band that released smash and i just don't know how it's the same guys with the same instruments and the same vocal that have just sounds so different I know that when I put a Red Fang album on, it doesn't matter if it's 10 years old, five years old, or the most recent album, that's Red Fang. It sounds like Red Fang. And that's what I want. And it, people might be like, well, look at Radiohead. Look how they've changed them thrice. And that's good. But Red Fang is Red Fang because it's solid. It's good music. They're good musicians. And it just fucking works. So why change it, you know? Don't think it's actually possible to change it because what makes it what it is from my perspective is the four of us in combination it's what happens when the four of us play music and we don't feel like we're trying to continually recreate what we did in the early days 15 years ago it's just the natural output from the four of us together writing music and so that's the thing that from my from the way I see it, that's what binds it. And that's what makes it sound like Red Fang is not that we're like, okay, let's make sure that we don't, you know, stray too far from the kind of songwriting style that we've done. We, it's never, that conversation never happens. We never like are uh, intentional about directing the style in one way or the other. It's just organically what happens. And so that's, the I guess the thing ultimately because you know if you listen from one song to the next on a bunch of records like there's pretty darn different things happening like Murder the Mountains has got that uh that slow song um that uh I'm so good I can't even remember the name of it <laughs> you, you wrote it but you can't remember the name yeah exactly yeah we don't stay consistent stylistically even on a record it's just the thing that binds it is just the overall sound and feel yeah. So that makes it easier too to not not worry about getting repetitive. Like I loved Bad Religion for a minute of my life and if you just click through every song on like five CDs in a row, they all start exactly the same. Yeah. And that's great, but it also I can imagine as a band you start getting kind of tired of like we're just rewriting the same song. We've rewritten the exact same song. 50 times or 60 times now we're we're not really doing that we're kind of like keeping the same mood from record to record and it changes a little bit but on balance there isn't a particular music style that stays consistent does that make any sense definitely we just literally picked up on the point and we can't ignore it that we are in the the world of lockdown and everything's fucked up right now um it's delayed your album by a year. You haven't played any shows. You just said you haven't performed music for a year, which is the first time in your life. You know, it's insane. Are you so, so ready to get out there now and play these new songs live? Are you already, with the extra time you've been given, already working on the follow-up album, thinking, fuck it, let's just take advantage of not having to tour around Europe and go here, there and everywhere? Or have you kind of just had that time back to appreciate just life again and all the small things that now seem so much bigger i um, am chomping at the bit to play live shows again i think we all are um i have taken advantage of the of the time away just to sort of uh 
record things on my own and uh and that's been that's been uh some i've had some nice revelations um and uh just the technical aspects of recording home recording um out of necessity um has sort of improved my life and uh and it's nice even without the you know the roaring crowd or whatever uh i still love it i still love you know maybe a, a weird guitar noise that happens by accident in my basement that no one will hear that i still get a thrill out of that so if anything it's just um it's uh, redoubled my my belief in in uh in rock and roll man i i still i still love it and it's good I mean, it was without any of the kudos that go along it man i it's it's nice to know that i'm not in it for the for the you know the, the champagne parties that we're constantly going to in our normal lives all the time oh so much champagne it's crazy and is it the same for you aaron are you looking forward to getting back and plugging that bass in standing up against the mic and saying good evening we're fucking red fang you know like it must have felt like you've got cobwebs yeah i mean for sure like i've been fantasizing about doing a european tour again there's just so many parts of uh you know, my identity that are associated, that are just wrapped up in playing in front of people, whether it was regardless of like, in what context, like I said, I've been doing it since I was eight. Yeah. And so I've been playing in bands, in rock bands in front of five to 12 people, you know, from the age of 15 through 35, when Red Fang started doing stuff in earnest, I was doing, you know, so I did it 20 for 20 years, because it's just part of who I am. So yeah, that is like, deeply disturbing to my soul that I haven't been able to do that for so long. And I'm very much looking forward to doing it again. And then as far as like how I've spent the last year or so, like I've, my, um, my wife is a drummer. And nice. so you can, I don't know if you can see any of this over here, but we just, we've kind of built out this room in the basement. It's my office and our studio. So we've been writing some music together. So that's part of an outlet. And then, but I, needed money. So I actually also went back to uh, my old pre Red Fang job, which is working um, in the film industry. Nice. So I've been uh, working from home as sort of like a coordinator for the puppet department on this stop motion movie that they're working on in Portland. It's a um, Key and Peele animated movie. Wow. So that's what I've been a, a the job actually started like right at the beginning of lockdown. End of March is when I started on that. So um, that's been taking a lot of my time and energy in a good way, but it's also going to wrap up pretty soon for me. And I'm really looking forward to being able to spend more time and energy doing uh, music creation on the computer back and forth with, with Brian across the interwaves. And I'm conscious we've only got just over five minutes. What I normally do is on the podcast is choose an outro song, which is always the band that come on or the artist or the director. Now, normally it's one person, but is there a song that you guys can agree on that would be the outro music for today? It doesn't have to be Red Fang. It can be a band, a piece of music, a film score, a song that you both adore and that you could agree on. We might have to do Stone, Paper, Scissor or something to decide. But when I ask you the question, what's the first song that comes to your mind? If you think about it for too long, you'll wake up at four in the morning and think, fuck, why didn't I pick this? Or you'll, you'll be in a situation where you're like, I should have asked for this one. But when I asked the question, is there a song that jumped into you that would be the song choice for you? I think that we should, we should do like a one, two, three and both say it at the same time and see if we say the same thing. How We're not going be? to. <laughs> <laughs> you go, Brian. Uh, cashmere. 
uh, I was going to say Cashmere. No, I wasn't going to say Cashmere. I was going to say um, Summer Breeze by Seals and Croft. I'm more fine with Cashmere. It ties in with uh, it ties in with my life a little better. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate your cool. time today. And I can't wait to see you guys live. And we'll catch a show, hopefully, in the UK and grab a beer when you're over here. Hell yeah. Love it. <laughs> Thank you very much. So there it is. There's my interview with me, Brian and Aaron from the absolutely awesome Red Fang. They are hilarious guys. If you check out their music videos, they just up it and up it every single time. They're absolute geniuses and the songwriting, the musicianship and everything about this band I absolutely adore. It really is a dream come true and a band I've wanted on this podcast for many years. So a massive thanks to the guys at Good As Gold Group who made this happen. Honestly, I'm forever in your debt. I really hope you've all enjoyed today's episode. If you're new to Mark and me, there are 139 other episodes waiting. I try and get a range of guests from all different areas of the business, including music, art, films, directors, bands, whatever. You name it, they've been on the Mark and me podcast. So please dig deep into the archive and I hope you find some incredible gems to keep you going. I'll be back in only a couple of days time with a brand new episode. But in the meantime, please share this episode. Go on Facebook, go on Twitter, go on Instagram, tag people in, ask them to listen. It's the best way to get the word out there and get a whole new audience to Mark and me. If you've really loved today's episode, I do have a Patreon page. On there, when you sign up, you get one of these incredible pin badges, which you may have seen over the last few weeks. You get exclusive access to backstage interviews. You get episodes early. You get announcements. And honestly, the draws that I do each month for the prizes are insane. Thanks to the amazing guys at Vice Press. They give me some of the best posters out there. Some artist proof and some prints that money can't buy. So thanks so much for those guys for supporting the podcast. In the meantime, like I said, it's only going to be a day or two until my brand new episode. So until then, listen to Red Fang, take care of yourself, and I'll speak to you all soon.
Yeah. 